Here's a summary of redeeming your time in about 30 seconds. So most people look at Jesus' life from a moral standpoint. That's important. But a lot of people don't think about this. You can also look at his life from a productivity standpoint. That's what Jordan Rayner does in this book. And he found that Jesus gives us peace and love regardless of how productive we are. And that he prioritized time with his father above sleep, food, or time with others. We may have a hard time saying no because we have nothing inspiring us to do something bigger. And rest is super important. But a lot of it can be unproductive, like binging Netflix. And Jesus was busy, but he was never in a hurry. Welcome to the 30 Second Book Club podcast. My name's Andy. And in the book club today, it's Jordan Rayner, author of Redeeming Your Time, Seven Biblical Principles for Being Purposeful, Present, and Wildly Productive. Jordan, what inspired you to write this book? Yeah, listen, the world does not need another time management book. Let's just start there. And, and so I knew if I wanted to write something this vain, it had to be unique. And I've read all the perennial bestsellers in this category, and I've had two big problems with them. You know, number one, most of them tend to be based on what I would call workspace productivity. Or the idea is, hey, you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed. Follow the author's system, do exercises X, Y, and Z, and then you will find peace at the end of this magical road. And yeah, listen, as a Christ follower, I believe what the Apostle Paul tells me in Romans 5.1, that I already have peace. I have ultimate peace with God. So I don't do time management exercises to get peace. I do it in response to the ultimate peace I've been given. And I just think that's a radically different foundation for a book. Uh, The second reason why I wrote it, uh, Andy, you know, after reading the pages of the book, you know, this book is unique in that it accounts for how the author of time managed his time in the person of Jesus Christ. I know, wild idea. Uh, I've never read a time management book that accounts for how the most productive person who ever walked the earth steward his 33 years. I think it's because a lot of times we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John exclusively for their theology and their ethics. And we forget that they are also biographies of how Jesus lived his life. And I believe we could see at least seven timeless time management principles from the life of Christ. And that's what Redeeming Your Time is all about. These seven principles mapped to more than 30 practical practices to help us redeem our time in the model of our Redeemer. And we'll get into a few of them, but there's just so much to cover and you just got to read the book. But I thought it was interesting that you start here with the solution to being swamped. Everyone is swamped. You know, we, we passed COVID. Uh, most of us are kind of past that. And, and so we had a time where we were paused and now we're all back to just being crazy swamped again. So what, what do you say the solution is? Yeah, listen, I, I love that Luke uses this word swamped in Luke chapter eight. It's his account of Jesus on the sea of Galilee with the disciples. The storm comes down and and Luke says that the boat was being swamped and the disciples were in great danger. Yeah. And the core premise of my book, redeeming your time is that the solution to the disciples being swamped by the wind and the waves is the exact same solution to our being swamped by our hurried schedules and crazy to-do lists. It's Jesus, right? Because he gives us peace before we do a single thing. Look at the disciples in the boat. They didn't do anything to calm the chaos of the storm. Uh, And sure, we do things to calm the chaos of our lives, but ultimately Jesus himself gives us peace and love regardless of how productive we are. That's our basis. Uh, And the other 
way that Jesus solves these time management problems, again, is he gives us a model to follow. We don't have to wonder how God would manage his time if he was constrained at the same 24-hour time period that we are. Jesus showed us. It's right. It's right there in the gospel biographies. We have the blueprint, but we got to read the gospels through the biographical lens to see the blueprint uh, and implement it in our own lives. And so I, I guess that kind of leads into why the first principle is start with the word. But I think so many people would say, well, I'm just too busy, Jordan. I'm too busy to read my Bible in the morning. Like this morning, I, I, but I, I had my Bible and then, you know, I've got, uh, you've got three kids and we've, we're helping out our friends. So their kids are over right now. So it's like, I, I tried my best. I wasn't able to start with the word. So why is that so important? And listen, there's some days I can't either. And I think in these times that we got to have grace with ourselves uh, and recognize that the times that we are able to make time for the word uh, is a gift of grace from the father. But look at the gospel biographies. Jesus prioritized time with his father above sleep, above food, above time with his disciples. And if he needed that in order to hear the father's voice, uh, we need it so much more. If we care about redeeming our time for eternal rather than temporal purposes. If we just care about being more productive, being more quote unquote successful, no, who needs time of the word? Who cares? But if we care about redeeming our time for eternal purposes, we got to know what God's word says about what he's up to in the world, uh, where time is going and what our role is in the meantime. Uh, I just think this is absolutely critical. And I argue in the book, this is the keystone habit that makes every other habit uh, easier and more effective. Now, I don't think that means that we got to have quiet times in the mornings. I think we're way too legalistic about this. Listen, Jesus spent time with the father really late at night and really early in the morning. Whatever works for you works. Uh, what's important is that we do it and we figure out how to make this a regular discipline. Okay. So another one of the um, uh, principles is let your yes be yes. And I think so many people just don't even know where to start. So I, I love how you get practical about choosing a workflow. So kind of work, you know, I, I've got a big to-do list. I don't even know how to get the to-do list in one place to start figuring out what to knock out first. What's the first step? Yeah. So here's the challenge. Um, so many of us are making commitments with others and with ourselves in a million different places. We do it in our email inboxes with our starred and flagged emails. We do it in text messages and conversations with our spouses. A lot of the commitments that we've made are, are in our brain alone, right? I want to take our kids to see snow this Christmas. Uh, or, uh, I, oh yeah, I, pr- I forgot I promised the kids I was going to make a Minnie Mouse waffles <laughs> on Saturday. That's a very real one in my life right now. The problem is when all of these commitments are in a million different places, including your brain, it creates a tremendous amount of anxiety and stress. There's a lot of really good neuroscience behind this that I talk about in the book. And the best thing you can do is to get all of those commitments in a single location, what I call a commitment tracking system. This could be as simple as a pad of paper, right? Or as complex as a digital to-do list. But the point is getting all of those commitments in one place. I, I, I tell people in the book, if you've ever been particularly overwhelmed, so overwhelmed, you're like, oh my gosh, I just have to sit down and write down a to-do list. Maybe it was a week before your wedding or three days before you were going to leave the office or vacation. When you finish that list, you probably felt some sense of relief 
even though you didn't complete a single thing on the list, right? We don't have to complete these things in order to be at peace. We just have to get all these open loops out of our head in other places and into a trusted system. And I'm going to show readers in this book how to do that, exactly how to do that so that our yes will be yes, as Jesus commanded more times than not. And the people in our lives can just trust us to do what we say we're going to do. I think one that will resonate to a lot of people is the principle of dissenting from the kingdom of noise. And I love uh, the, just the mental image of that. We need to stop swimming in infinity pools. Yeah. So, you know, just real quickly, when you look at the gospel biographies, the amount of time Jesus spent in lonely places or solitary places is mind boggling, right? Jesus had a ton of time, of quiet solitude, which I would argue stands in stark contrast to our lives today. We are constantly in taking new information, whether it is news or social media, whatever. And I would argue one of the biggest culprits are these infinity pools of content that never, never, never end. Infinity pools are Instagram stories or news websites that seamlessly scroll from one meaningless story to the next, right? So what's the solution? Uh, News isn't bad, right? But we should be opting for finite pools of content instead of infinity pools. Finite pools of content are uh, daily news roundups uh, in the form of a podcast or an email. Or listen, at the risk of sounding like I'm 90 years old, uh, I I promise I'm 35, a physical newspaper, a physical newspaper, right? Like There's a lot of beauty to this in our world filled with infinity pools. In the words of the New York Times masthead, a newspaper is all the news that's fit to print as a fit in a confined box. And I think we need to be looking for a lot more content that fits that finite description if we want to get good at, like Jesus, dissenting from the kingdom of noise. So moving on to another one of the principles, uh, prioritizing your yeses. And there's a lot about goal setting too. And I love this because this is actually uh, kind of turned into my life first. You talk about, we need to set more epic goals. And you talk about Ephesians 3.20, you know, it's because God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. Yeah, it, we. I don't think most of our goals reflect that we believe that to be true. Ephesians 3.20 is true. By the way, All throughout scripture, we see this. It's not just in Ephesians 3. God is able to stop the sun in the middle of the day so the Israelites could win their battles, right? Uh, We worship the God of the Bible who can uh, ensure that Sarah, old Sarah, gives birth to his son, right? And I just don't think our goals reflect that we believe this is true. And what happens is most of the people I know who have a really hard time saying no to requests for their time it's usually because they don't have something, a really big, hairy, audacious goal that's inspiring them, right? That's focusing their to-do list, that's enabling them to say, you know what? I'm so excited about what I've said yes to and this goal I believe the Lord has is, is, is called me to chase down for my family and for my work, that it makes it easier for me to say no to these lesser things. But so many of us don't have that because we don't believe Ephesians 3.20 is true. And of course it is true. God is able to do immeasurable more. It doesn't mean he will do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, but he is able to. And I think we need to set our goals accordingly. Well, I think that ties in well with, uh, you talk about, and then in, uh, later on about in accepting your unipresence, fake productivity. And boy, I mean, even 
I, I think that's something I struggle with all the time. It's it, when I'm going through my emails, I'll just check them and then I'll feel really good because maybe I've gotten through a few of them, but I feel like I really haven't even made any progress or maybe these aren't the things I'm supposed to be doing. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So uh, fake productivity is a very real temptation for us. Fake productivity is spending your entire day in meetings or your entire day in email and checking text messages, work that makes you look busy and makes you look productive. But you know, I know, does it make any meaningful progress uh, to the work that you believe God's called you to do in this world? But the reason why we opt for fake productivity is it's way easier right, than just sitting your butt in a chair for two hours and doing something real, right? Doing some real deep work uh, to move you forward towards your goals. And I just think for a lot of people, just being aware of that temptation is helpful to overcome it. Uh, I think today, after you listen to this episode and you're sitting down and find yourself mindlessly checking emails, just remind yourself, hey, this is not real. Uh, You're just going through the motions to look productive, shut it down and go do some real work uh, that advances the kingdom, right? That's why we're here. All right. So we get rid of fake productivity, but I think sometimes people think that this is not good, but you talk about how we should embrace productive rest. So uh, maybe what is unproductive rest and what is productive rest? What's the difference? It's a good question. That's a really good question. I I think unproductive rest um, is leisure. I think that's how I would define it. It's mindlessly binging Netflix. Don't get me wrong. I love Netflix. Uh, I watch TV with my wife every night. We're watching Ted Lasso last night, right? Um, But, uh, you know, no, like true productive rest is rest resting with different parts of our body that we're not working out throughout the day. I'll give you a great example. Winston Churchill is the perfect picture of this. Churchill understood the maxim that if you work with your mind, rest with your hands. And if you work with your hands, rest with your mind. He worked with his mind. He was a statesman and a writer, right? Uh, And the way Churchill would rest was with the opposite, with his hands. He would lay bricks at his home or paint a painting. He painted something like 500 paintings in his lifetime. And he actually wrote pretty extensively about this idea that the perfect day for him was writing 2000 words and laying 200 bricks, right? Because he understood that if you work out these different muscles, it's going to recharge your batteries to a greater degree and make you more productive uh, when you finally sit back down at your desk uh, to do the work you believe God's called you to do. It's a radical idea. I think this is kind of the one that I, I laughed at the uh, title of it. I don't know if you laughed when you wrote it. One of the principles is to eliminate all hurry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> easy, easy to say, Jordan. Easier said than done. Yeah. So first, I, I think it's important to uh, make this distinction. Jesus was insanely busy in the Gospels. Right. There's one scene in which his disciples are, are, are telling him to call it a day after a long day of work. And he basically said, are there not 12 hours in the day? I've yet to finish the work that my father's given me to do. There's another scene in which his family says that Jesus is, quote, out of his mind. He's so busy. Jesus was out of his mind, busy, but he was never busy, so busy that he was frantic or anxious, or snapping at other people in his life. And I think that is the line between busy 
and hurry, right? And for us to get good at this, to stay on the right side of this busy hurry spectrum, I think we've just got to be really good at budgeting our time and knowing and having a plan for where our time's going to go before the Lord gives us a fresh supply of hours every single morning. I was at dinner last night uh, with some couple friends of ours. Everybody at that table, every family represented at that dinner table uh, has a financial budget, a budget for their money. None of my friends, tragically, hopefully this will change as this book comes out, has a plan and a budget for where they spend their time. This is mind boggling to me, right? By God's grace, all of us can earn more money. None of us can earn more time. How much more intentional should we be about budgeting where those minutes go? And I think that is the key to ensuring that we are productively busy without being hurried and really modeling Jesus's ability to hold that tension well. Was there something that as you went through Jesus' story and you were looking at his life, what was the one thing that just jumped out at you that you thought, I never really thought of it that way? I, I, I think I'm going to go back to dissenting from the kingdom of noise. You know, the, 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 the most vivid example of this in Jesus' life is right after his baptism. John the Baptist plunges Jesus under the water. Jesus comes up. The father audibly speaks and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. If there was any point in which you would think Jesus would start preaching a sermon, it is right after that unbelievable moment. But instead, the spirit of God led Jesus to the wilderness for 40 days of quiet solitude. And it was only after those 40 days that Jesus was ready to launch his public ministry to do battle with the devil. Man, if Jesus needed this much solitude, right? We need so much more, especially today with how crazy, busy, crazy, noisy our world is. We need, we need to descend from the kingdom of noise in order to think clearly, in order to be creative, in order to prioritize our to-do lists, and most importantly, to listen to the voice of God and how he is telling us uh, to do our work in this world. Let's face it, being a mom is hard. And so Dallas Lewis has written a book for you called Why Some Animals Eat Their Young, A Survivor's Guide to Motherhood. And she'll tell you the things that your friends won't and the things other books are too afraid to print. And she is in the 30 Second Book Club podcast next week.